Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 255 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a freelance DevOps and Docker consultant, Udemy instructor, trainer, speaker, and open source volunteer. He teaches courses on Docker and container technology and even does live training workshops. He's also a volunteer Docker captain and has been blogging about tech for more than 15 years. So welcome to the podcast. Brett Fisher. Thanks, Phil. I'm glad to be here. Um, Brett, could we maybe start um, with your volunteer work? Could you just tell us a little bit about that um, in terms of being a Docker captain? Sure. Uh, Docker was a company that was sort of founded around 2013 and then around 2015. They were trying to figure out how to organize their bloggers and speakers and just sort of the people in the community that were talking about their products. And they were trying to figure out how they could corral some of these people that were doing all the things, including running their own local meetup called a Docker meetup in the physical world. Maybe they were blogging about Docker and they were also talking maybe about it at, court, at conferences. And they realized that there was these multiple people that were showing up that basically did all the things, right? And they wanted to sort of recognize those people and thank them and then also give them a nice title. And they came up with the idea of Docker Captain, and so around, uh, I think it was early, it was somewhere in 2015, early 2016, maybe, they invited a lot of us and said, hey, we're going to do this thing. You've been invited to the first cohort. I think there was maybe 30 to 40 of us. And then eventually it got up to 70 of us. And it only really has three rules. The first one is that you don't work for Docker. There's actually been captains that were hired by Docker and then they actually lose their captainship. Two is that you know a good amount about some piece of Docker tech. And then the third one is that you share that knowledge nonstop. And that's kind of key is being in the open source community. It's all about sharing our knowledge as much as possible, whether that's in blogs or conferences or at Docker meetups or other meetups. And so if you're doing that long enough, you tend to get noticed by Docker and then they might send you an email. And in terms of your blogging, I mean, you've been doing that for quite a while. So what started you in doing that? Well, I'm kind of a gray beard, so I've been in tech since the early 90s, and I had a blog before it was a blog, and you know we didn't have that word back in the late 90s. It was just a website where you might put a diary, and I kind of started doing that in the late 90s uh, on an old website that I still have called Fish Brains, uh, since my last name's Fisher, and over the years, that kept changing, and you know I would I eventually went to WordPress and then other solutions and would sort of recycle the website because it would always have old unrelated things. And eventually it just started focusing on tech in the early 2000s. And some of those posts are still out there, like uh, crazy free BSD, bandwidth traffic shaping for wireless home networks, just kind of weird stuff from way back 15 years ago. <laughs> but nowadays I just blog on brettfisher.com, which is sort of my main site for all my all of my stuff I do now. But I kind of leave the, the old stuff around on the internet because it's kind of a fun to go back and look at it all. Sure. So do you maintain your original website? Is it still there? Yeah, it's technically running on Ghost. Actually, both of my 
all of my blogging sites that I have run on Ghost Blog, which is a Ghost engine. That, uh, sorry, it's like it's a Node.js go- blogging engine that's kind of like WordPress. And if you go in the Wayback Machine, which if you've been around tech or if you kind of want to go and look in the history of the internet, if you just go check out the Wayback Machine, you can always look up some website like Google or something or Yahoo, and you can see what it looked like in 1998 or something. And yes. I always go back to my old websites just to see what they look like. <laughs> and of course, they looked ridiculous, but um, it's a good trip down yep. memory lane. It is. It's a very useful little tool, that, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Brett, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? Sure. I think something that I only recently, after doing this 25 plus years, I only recently in the last couple of years understood the concept called strong opinions weekly held, which basically means that you have the attitude of you basically take your hypothesis. Let's say you have a hypothesis in tech. Maybe you believe that everyone should use you know, SSD storage in their servers, right? So this is a, a strong opinion you have about the way you should design your systems or something. This is a, an example. But your weekly held opinions. So at the same time that you're passionate about that idea that you want to convince your employer, your teammates that these are all the right things to use, and it creates good debate and it allows you to move things forward because you seem like you, you have a lot of knowledge around this topic and you're really passionate about it. But you also have this concept of weekly held, which means that any time a different opinion comes your way, that you really consider it and even possibly change your opinion on the fly, even though you were previously passionate about the last knowledge you had. And so you can look at this up on online. There's tons of documentation and stories and articles about it. I don't remember who was first attributed to it, but strong opinions weekly held, or sometimes it's called strong opinions loosely held, as something that I actually have been doing most of my career without realizing it. And it's manifested itself in so many beneficial beneficial ways where I can lead a team, especially as a team leader, a lot of times you'll end up needing to have opinions or make decisions. And you want to make those decisions based on what you think are scientific evidence, or at least what we think of in IT as scientific evidence. Like you're looking at metrics and other things that can guide your decisions. But at the end of the day, a decision often is really just a decision and it might get reversed. And the team often needs your leadership. But the thing about being a a team leader and really just a team member in any team is being able to listen and digest everyone else's stuff. But the theory about strong opinions is that if you're someone who digests all this information from everyone else and you're considering all the options, but you're not willing to debate or sort of fight for your idea, that it reduces the quality of debate around what are good ideas and what should be the right course of action. And so anyway, that's a little teaser. Go check it out. It, once I learned about it and read a lot of the documentation, it changed the way I thought about how I approach not just IT and team management, but also just debate and understanding ideas in general. And it's something I've always done. I've literally said in meetings where I was very passionate about something, and then someone in the meeting brings up new information that we didn't have. And suddenly the the knowledge and awareness I had of how that thing worked or something completely changed because they had information I didn't, which obviously, you know, is common because I don't know everything. And I would immediately change my opinion and I would then be just as passionate about their idea uh, (laughs) and their information as I was about my own. And for some people, that's actually jarring 
because they feel like that you were just so passionate. How could you possibly change your mind so quickly? And it's just something that's been innate in me for so long that I thought it was normal, but it can be quite confusing. Obviously, in politicians, it's actually considered a bad thing to change your mind like that. But I think in IT, we're constantly coming against new information, constantly having new metrics and data put in front of us and having that that both strong opinions and holding them weekly and potentially changing them often is both very valuable together. Yeah. It's, I mean, you would have to have the right mindset to enable yourself to do that because obviously when people tend to have a, a very strong opinion, they tend to be quite set with that. And it takes more than just you know somebody coming up with a, a suggestion or additional information to actually enable them to make that move. It's, it's quite quite a significant way of thinking about things, I think. Yeah. And when you see a team that can operate that way, and of course it takes a team that can trust each other and they need to have a, a mature relationship of understanding that this isn't about ego, this, you know, this isn't about one-upping each other or anything like that, that you're actually just trying to communicate ideas and debate them. And I've been very lucky to have some of those teams in my career. And man, when you can get some people like that in the same room and really get technical and discuss things, but then be willing to listen even though you don't think it's the right thing, you're willing to go down those rabbit holes of people and think about it. It's really powerful in how you can approach ideas. Brett, can you share with us your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, I always love fail blogs. If you've ever listened to people talk about their own huge technical failures that's always something that I think that we should be talking more about in IT. And I love that I think in the last few years, a lot more people are blogging about their failures. A lot more companies are being open about their failures. But that's really in tech. And so I'm going to give you two examples. One is just really about people. And I think kind of related to my strong opinions weekly held idea is that I always have regret when I possibly didn't communicate well enough in a meeting that people thought, I was maybe being too aggressive or too strongly opinionated. And they didn't realize that, hey, I'm glad to change my opinion and I totally value your opinion. And so if I screw up and I'm maybe a little bit too excited about something and I'm not giving them enough time to, to discuss their own ideas, then I, I tend to be a little aggressive, right? So and there's an, there's an idea that often our weaknesses are really just overdone strengths. And because I can be passionate about things and I love talking about tech, that passion of mine is the strength, but the weakness is sometimes I'm a little too aggressive and it will seem like I'm maybe overbearing on someone. So a few times in my career over the last 20 years, I can remember specific cases where I really made people upset and it was never my intention. And of course, you know, I'm always, I never want to think that I'm sending somebody home stressed about their job or about the team relationships because I was a little too aggressive in a meeting. So that's really, I think probably the people aspect of it is to me more important. But when it comes to failures, I'll just list like maybe my top public failure. Okay. So there's a big company that runs a lot of movies and TV shows on the internet that most countries have access to. And they have a blog. <laughs> right. And I was lucky enough years ago to be on a project where we were managing their blog. And I was kind of the DevOps engineer at the time. And right around Thanksgiving one year, they happened to hit a big announcement on their blog and they went to number one on Reddit homepage. And unfortunately, I had clicked a box the day before 
that I shouldn't have clicked. Actually, I, I, I think I did not click a box in AWS that I should have. And ultimately, what it meant was that the site didn't auto scale or a part of the site didn't auto scale. So as uh-huh. soon as they got 10 million hits in an hour, the site went down and it was my fault. <laughs> and so luckily we had it back up within an hour, but it was all due to the fact that we had not implemented an automated infrastructure deployment process. So we weren't using infrastructure as code yet. And it was it was human failure. It was basically not clicking the right box when you were doing some change management the week before or something. And yeah, that was it. So I took it down. <laughs> right. Well, I hope you managed to take away a lesson from that in some way. Yeah, infrastructure as code uh, yep. will save your bacon so many more times than, ooh, did I check? Did I click that button? Did I check that thing? Because human workflow in our heads with clicky, if you think about it, how many of your systems can you take down with the wrong click or the lack of a click or accidentally double clicking when you should have single clicked? I mean, there's so much of infrastructure that sometimes is like that. And I think getting things into code where you have to commit it to a Git repo, you have to actually get it through some sort of QA process. Like if you can just do that for some of your infrastructure, you'll be better off. Yeah. So presumably you now look for every opportunity to make that happen. <laughs> as much as I can, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So moving away from your worst moment, can you tell us about your career highlight to date? I think it's kind of what I'm doing right now. I think being able to reach such a huge audience through my courses. Uh, I now I'm over 170,000 students in my Docker and Kubernetes courses. And that has given me so many opportunities, not just for you know like my own consulting clients and obviously helping so many people. It's allowed me to speak on big stages and, and do things that really give, it basically gives me that voice to reach a bigger audience, which was always my motivation. And in fact, really, the reason I got into IT to begin with was just to help people. I mean, that was absolutely my motivation back in the 90s. I just I, I loved helping people. And back then it was, you know, I was doing like everyone else. I worked up from help desk, you know, to IT basic junior sysadmin kind of duties and back then I got started because I loved helping people fix their computers. So I was interacting with people face to face and it was great. And now when I look at it, I think about how basically my videos are helping fit. Now we're at, we're at the point where we're helping 15,000 people a month because that's how many people are now in our courses watching at least one video every month. And it's just, it's amazing that I'm able to do that with tech today that I couldn't even have fathomed just a couple of decades ago. Indeed. So you obviously gone from very much that sort of one-to-one relationship as well to a very much <laughs> a scaled up one, one-to-many. Absolutely. But even every day, it still gets down to that one-to-one because I still insist almost every day of the week for the last three plus years, I've been in the Q&A for those courses, answering at least a few questions. So I'm I'm in there understanding what the students are going through, seeing the changes and nuances and I get to see a lot of what happens, right? And uh, when you get sort of that meta-analysis around how many people are going through all this content and how things are breaking in the courses because nothing in the tech world ever stays the same. So, you know, your videos are always having to change because new things come out. And um, it really gives me a good heartbeat on what people are dealing with, how people's needs are changing. And so I still feel like even though I've got that larger approach to to such a wide array of people that I still get down to the one-to-one stuff. 
Great. Well, it's good to hear. I mean, in terms of the actual sort of churn and turnover of videos, is it something you have to continually revisit? And obviously, as you as you just said, it's, there's always change. So yeah. presumably, it's a, pretty much a never-ending process. Yeah, and maybe it's not like that for all of tech. I honestly think right now that developer courses have it easier because there's typically not breaking changes in the foundations of JavaScript, right, every year. Yeah. But in sort of the DevOps tooling realm and the sysadmin tooling realm where I live, you know, container tooling has only existed five to seven years. Docker as a project is only seven years old. So the, all of the stuff that I teach is so, you know, Kubernetes is such a young project and it's rapidly changing. They come up with three major versions a year, at least, that are breaking changes. And it's actually very hard to keep it up. And I, I can't imagine being someone like some of these mega course creators that have 15 or 20 courses. I could just never keep up with that because they'd all be broken by the time I got back to fixing them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Brett, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? I think it's still the same things that I got into. I think the two things there that I'm really super optimistic about is that we still see tech is eating the world, right? Like so many jobs are being automated away. And obviously that has its own negative implications. And we as a society have to figure out how we're going to deal with jobs of the future for everyone. But that also means that there's going to be more jobs in tech. And I obviously see jobs in tech going away because certain jobs are being automated. But I've always let, had my career where I stayed interested in new stuff and I always sought out new stuff. And that has always led me to the jobs that were in relatively new things. If I was still focused on the things I had learned in the 90s, I would probably not have a job because those things had been automated away. So I've always been curious by nature. I've, you know, throughout my whole career, I've always been reading a book or watching a video. So I think that ability to ha just have an innate curiosity for IT. And basically that gives you the opportunity to have a career in IT. I don't even have a college degree. I never had a lick of college. I went to the Navy in the US back out of high school. And so basically I, I get all the jobs I have now, you know, just by having a GED essentially, <laughs> just by having a college or a, a high school diploma. I mean, no one asked me about my Navy experience. They just want to know what you know, certifications I have, and at a certain point in your career, you you basically go off referrals and just all your friends and relationships like that. But I love hearing about new people in tech because I, I work a lot with my students that are all getting into DevOps or getting into tech after college. So I see a lot of them all getting into the job market, and I just love to hear all the stories about everyone in every demographic, every background, every country. You know, I've got students coming in from we're now up to over 170 countries of students. And the common thing of all of them is that they, they, they start with a natural curiosity that just doesn't quit. They just, keep, they just keep wanting to learn. And if they do that and they make the time for it, eventually they get a job in it. And it's, it's not the same easy path for everyone. Some people have it harder than others. But the fact that these courses now and the training online are so free, so cheap, you know, my courses are usually less than 20 American dollars you know, for usually 10 to 20 hours of video. So there's so much content out there that's either free or extremely cheap that I see people getting, I mean, I have dozens of stories of people from my students saying, I got a job in DevOps because I took these courses and I took these tests and I went and did this. And then, and I just happened to be a part of their learning, but they went through this 
a year's worth of effort after hours or something, and now they've changed their career. And it's just a great story I keep hearing over and over. And I lo- that's what I love about tech. And I'm super optimistic about that in the future too. I mean, that's great to hear. You mentioned demographics as well. I mean, it'd be very interesting to to understand from from what you see the sort of demographics that that your courses reach. Is it very much focused on people in the early career stage, or or do you get a real variety? At this point, it's absolutely a variety. You could probably like chunk these into like ten percent groups or something, where there's definitely that ten percent of they are not in a major Western country and they're, you can tell they're working on, you know, they're working on a Windows 7 machine, which isn't even under support anymore. And they've got only four gig of RAM and they're sort of struggling to get Docker to work, but they figure it out or they use a browser-based tool and they're just passionate because they want to improve their, maybe they don't have a job in tech or they're, or they're in tech, but they want to get more into DevOps because they hear that's higher paying salaries or maybe more interesting work than what they're currently in. So I definitely get a lot of those. I also get a lot of people that are sort of my age or older that are maybe mid or late career and they're retooling because their company isn't doing that for them. And they realize that they're they're going to put themselves, they're going to pigeonhole themselves into a situation where they're not going to be able to be marketable in a new job in case their company decides to you know lay them off or something. So they realize they've got to jump back on it. And then I also see another segment of students that are doing it simply because their job is like, we're changing and you better change with us. So we're going to provide you the training. So not only the demographics, it's, it's the drivers behind the reasons for doing the courses as well that, that vary. Yeah, it, absolutely. And they come from all backgrounds. I mean, even when I look at operating systems, you know, it's a, you know, there's Mac, there's Linux, there's Windows, there's people that take my courses on Android. So those demographics affect people, right? Like if you look at country breakdowns, the US is much higher in MacBooks, for example. And a lot of courses nowadays are very Mac-centric or the the examples, including some of mine, are Mac-centric. But when you look at the demographics, for example, a vast majority of the world is using Windows. Yes. And so um, it's, it's fantastic. I still love looking at the data because it just... You know, the languages preference. I mean, I never knew that so many people in tech online taking courses, at least mine, you know, top five languages includes Portuguese, which I would have never guessed as a a major (laughs) language. But Brazil and Portugal obviously are two of them. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have figured that as a top five, but Germany is a top five. So it's it's always interesting to see where everybody's coming from and what they're doing. And and a platform like Udemy, which is the platform that I, I do all my courses on, they're heads and shoulders in terms of the quantity and the and the uh, the spread of you know I think they're in 190 some countries now which is basically every country in the world they even have opportunities in smaller countries where people have a hard time getting credit cards and stuff like that they actually have different payment mechanisms so it's really nice to be there because it isn't just something that only serves the english speaking western world that has credit cards and debit cards and stuff like that it's pretty nice yeah good okay um, Brett, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a l- little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? Sure. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? <laughs> the Navy recruiter told me, what do I like to do? I said, computers. And she says, okay, we have jobs in computers. Would you like one? And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that straightforward. That's right. The accident that changed my life. Yeah. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Basically, 
share everything you can. Be a fountain of knowledge, essentially, to your team and, and, and to others, yeah. What is the worst career advice you've ever received? Go get a college degree. <laughs> right. It doesn't always work, no. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess maybe to expand on that, uh, go get a college degree to get your promotion. Right, yeah. If you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? Well, assuming that I had the awareness of the internet now and understood the diversity of training and learning out there, I would largely do what I did, which was a kind of a bootstraps, learning from the ground up. Only back when I did it, I learned it with books in Barnes and Noble by just reading the TCPIP Unleashed book because I couldn't afford to buy it for 50 bucks. So I had to read it cover to cover like 700 pages. But nowadays, I'd say... Uh, start as soon as you can and just learn YouTube, learn uh, all these other websites that have free courses and then dabble in it. See if you can't go find your your church or your community rec center or something or something around you and go make some websites for them and just learn the web first, like learn HTML yeah. and CSS. It, I learned that in the 90s and it has never, it has always been that foundational skill that I came back to no matter what languages I was working in or what pro, what I was doing in tech. What career objectives are you currently focusing on? I think the word of the day for me is GitOps, which is essentially taking the idea of DevOps automation and infrastructure as code and metrics and implementing that in a way where you're using the Git change uh, tracking system, essentially, that yep. using that tool, something like GitHub or Bitbucket, as a way to manage the change and control the change of your your DevOps and your operations. And so if you just kind of Google GitOps, you'll see a lot of great explanations. It's a pretty new concept the last two or three years, but essentially it's using Git repos for your operations and your infrastructure the same way you use it for your code. What's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Being comfortable standing up in front of a group of people that are either strangers or my peers and just talking about something that I know a lot or a little about. Obviously, that's something that takes practice um, and you have to do it, I suppose, really to to gain that confidence to do it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I started out, if you think about, if I think back and I look back at like, how did I get to the point where I was standing in front of a thousand people talking on a, on a stage in a keynote or something, yeah. right? Uh, it started when I was in a team of five people and we would start doing lunch and learns where once or twice a week, somebody would get up in front of the five people and we'd all have lunch and someone would share what they learned recently through a book or through a video or something. And I started doing that. And it was hard at first, right? Because I, I would prep yeah. for hours because I was nervous that my coworkers would think I was dumb. But at the end of the day, they'd never do that. I mean, usually... Usually that's not never the issue, but of course, even today, I'm still just as insecure, I think, a little bit about what I'm saying in public and what I'm on the stage with, but obviously I'm way more practiced, right? Obviously having yes. done it probably hundreds of times. What do you do to keep your own career energized? I think for me, because I'm so motivated by helping others and you know, seeing the smile or hearing the smile, I guess nowadays, on someone's face when you've given them that aha moment or you've fixed a problem they couldn't quite fix or you've helped someone out. Whenever I find that I'm maybe 
burdened with too much learning and too much conceptual. I go find some real world problem that a friend of mine has, or even just a family member that's in tech, right? Uh, Just going and finding something and then going and fixing it. And it's funny how just that it's almost like a dopamine hit in your brain. You went and you helped someone, they got excited. They, they praised you essentially for your fixing or your doing of the thing. And suddenly that re-energizes me to think, oh yeah, that's why I do this. I do this to help people. And that felt really good. So let me get back to it. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I'm lucky enough to live blocks off of a public beach. And so uh, my wife and I love to get out and ride our bikes to local eateries or brew pubs or anything, some of the local microbrews and stuff like that. Hang out with our puppy, uh, listen to live music, and just sort of try to live a little bit of that beach life. Yeah, that's good to hear. And Brett, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? Regardless of where you are in your career, whether you're in a team now or you're just trying to get into IT, I think the thing that really will lend you well, regardless of your skill set, because a lot of people that that's our big concern for them is, you know, I need what skills do I need for this job? And how do I become, you know, how do I make sure that they don't let me go first when they're cutting down the team because of cutbacks or whatever? I always find that if you're the one who's sharing the most of what you know, you're going to end up being the most valuable person. So when I think about who's the assets in teams, I would say that in the old IT culture of decades gone by, it was more about how much you knew and that was your value in your job. But I think nowadays in the modern IT culture where we're all Googling everything all day long, we're on Stack Overflow searching for answers, basically no one knows everything. No one knows what they need to everything they need to do their job in a silo, which means that your value is now directly tied to how much you can share and help others in your team, not how much you necessarily know. In terms of how you approach that, do you have a particular way you you do this? I think lots of different ways because it, it manifests itself not just in your job, right? Like a lot of people you see in tech, especially when they get started, I think I see this trend in a lot of students, they want to go start a blog to share what they're learning. And that's great because even if no one else is really reading your blog, because obviously there's probably a million new blogs a day, uh, it gets you practiced around how to describe in simpler words and terms, because that skill of being able to describe tech That's what served me my whole career is being able to tell other people and not just technical people, but other people in the different areas of tech, you know, describing infrastructure things to a manager who doesn't deal with infrastructure has always been a very valuable thing. And it's helped me, you know, get promotions. And that's how you become team leaders is being able to communicate effectively. And a lot of that is being able to empathize and communicate with others on how on their level and how they would understand it without being condescending or, or, you know, the, the whole quote, the IT guy sort of attitude where you, you might have that. So I think that the more you share, the more you're, you're going to be better at it. And that might just mean trying to be a little bit more aggressive in, in meetings and not waiting to be called upon, but maybe sharing your ideas without being asked, or maybe trying to set up a lunch and learn with your team where you pick the top or someone picks the topic and maybe you're sharing once a month. So I think a lot of different ways to do that and you can kind of decide on your own whether you're you're comfortable typing away on a blog at home or maybe you go to someplace like Stack Overflow 
and you pick one thing that you are interested in and you go and you start to try to answer questions. And it's amazing how if you just do that for 15 minutes a day and you just make that a part of your job, right? Like even if you're not allowed to do it at work, just do it 15 minutes when you get home from work, just sit down, look at a couple of questions, maybe try to answer one if you're lucky. And it'll, if you do that for a few months, it'll be amazing how much you have learned just by understanding other people's problems and how to help them. Yeah, and it's great, great advice. It sounds like it's a real combination of being a little bit proactive, um, but also putting some commitment into it. Yeah, yep. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Well, I'm kind of all over the internet. You can probably just search Docker Brett Fisher the, with uh, one T in Brett uh, and then F-I-S-H-E-R. Uh, my, but my website's where you can find everything that I'm doing. That's brettfisher.com, B-R-E-T-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. Brett, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks so much, Phil. It's been great being on your show. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to each other again. Hi, Phil here again. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with today's guest. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e and the number of the episode you've been listening to. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do so that you get episodes automatically downloaded to your device every Monday. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.